Open your Bibles, if you will, with me to John chapter 6, verse 35. It is a great delight to get to be with you on this Good Friday. It's always great, especially on these uh, special services, to see uh, family members and friends from around Louisville and around in town visiting family and friends or just looking for a Good Friday service. It's good to see you here as well as familiar faces as well. I'm going to read to you one verse that doesn't mention the cross, but is laser-focused on the cross. And I'm going to read to you this one verse that doesn't mention the cross, but is laser-focused on the cross. And I just want you to know it's in the context of the longest chapter in the entire Bible. This amazing chapter where Jesus shows us over and over again that He is the satisfaction for our souls. He is the one who can satisfy the human soul. To me, it's a miracle in this world that any group of people would get together and sing as if there were something to sing about. And the reason there's something to sing about is because there really is one who satisfies the human soul. John chapter 6, verse 35, again, it's one verse in the middle of a whole chapter, and I'll allude to that chapter and quote that chapter and remind you of that chapter, but I'm not going to read that whole chapter in light of how much good Scripture we've already had read to us. But that one central verse is this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Father, we come before You, and You know it's been my prayer today that we would see people saved. And I had a young woman approach me right before this service and say, I was saved this week, this Tuesday. We praise You for that. We pray, Lord God, You'd save many more, but Lord God, the saved get weary and they need the refreshment of the cross. They need the bread of life. They need the water of living waters. And we pray that You would dole it out abundantly with a fresh outpouring of Your Holy Spirit even through this week preaching. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the last 10 years, I've noticed something. And what I've noticed is that when I go to big stores, I'm not talking about mom and pop stores, I'm talking about big box stores, Costco, you know, grocery stores, hardware stores. When I go in there, they are always playing the music of my youth. I'm looking for some plumbing parts, I'm looking for some ingredients that I've been sent to go get for dinner, and all of a sudden I find myself singing along with the greatest hits of the 80s and 90s. And uh, sometimes that's horrible when you realize, wow, that is really worse than I remember that song. And sometimes it's nostalgic, like I forgot how catchy a Duran Duran song could be. But over the last 10 years, I've found it's often there. Some corporate executive somewhere in charge of customer experience knows that people my age are making money and buying replacement parts for their home and they've determined that they're going to make sure that I am whistling familiar tunes with contentment as I walk through their stores. Now, one of the things I realize 
as I relive my youth through all these songs, is that the music of the 80s and 90s was a music of decadence and desire. It was a music of decadence and desire. The heavy metal bands wore lots of leather and they destroyed the environment with hairspray. Just an unbelievable amounts of hairspray being emitted into the universe to prop up the hair of heavy metal bands. And the rap groups had lots of leather and lots of gold chains. And it was a decadent time. Madonna was singing, we are living in a material world and I'm a material girl. Biggie was rapping about coming out of the project and how he's putting five carrots in my baby girl's ear. It was decadent. But at the same time that it was decadent, there was this sense that nobody was happy. That nobody who had all these things was actually satisfied. And so you had Bono from U2 singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Bruce Springsteen, everybody's got a hungry heart. And even though Tupac had all kinds of success, he was still rapping about so many tears. And each of these artists showed that decadence did not satisfy the hungry heart. It did not wipe away all the tears. And it did not deliver what anyone was looking for. Now, I love it when you can find songs with even a sliver of honesty about the human condition. When I see that in a song, I just listen to it on repeat because just that whole sense of someone actually expressing the desire of the human heart poetically, it gets me. And I, I love it. And when I read through those lyrics, uh, I get reminded, and I get reminded of those lyrics in the Home Depot, I always wish, and I, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a geeky wish, but I just wish I could have 15 minutes with one of these rock stars. I mean, if I could just get 15 minutes with someone who's saying, I've got a hungry heart. And I'm, I'm not aspiring, just so you know, to be the next celebrity pastor. I don't think that would be a good look for me. I just mean, I wish I could get on a desert island, you know, kind of fantasize about maybe the plane crash and you wind up alone with Bruce Springsteen and he's got a guitar and he's telling you he's got his hungry heart and you get to tell him what could satisfy his heart. I wrote a blog post years ago responding to a Lord song where she was fantasizing about wealth and how it would satisfy and wouldn't satisfy. And I just dream that someday she Googles her name out of vanity and some bizarre algorithm leads her to this blog post and she writes me to say she's been saved through reading this. And even though I'm joking, I, 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 I genuinely feel, oh, if I could just... This person has spoken into my soul. They've expressed something I feel. And I've found a remedy for. And if I could just get a few minutes with them, talk to them, I would absolutely love it. Now let's say if I ever did my, get my desert island opportunity or my 15 minutes to talk to someone, what passage would I go to? What passage would I look at with them to say, listen, you're on to something with this still haven't found what you're looking for bit, but I want to finish it off for you. I want to point you to the one 
you maybe don't even know you're hungering for. And I don't think there could be a better passage to open up than the 6th chapter of John and the 31st, or 5th, the 35th verse of that chapter. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In one verse, Jesus promises a soul satisfaction that every believer has tasted something of. Now I know Christians can be like little children and we get distracted from eating the nourishing bread of Christ and we eat too much candy of the world and we forget to eat this bread. But every Christian at one point or another has tasted something of what it means to eat Jesus as bread for your soul and something of what it means to drink Christ of living waters. And if you feel like a stranger to that this evening, then the greatest gift a Good Friday could bring to you could be a restoration of love for Christ and satisfaction in Christ to your soul. And if you've heard of Christianity or even been around Christians, but there's never been this leap to He satisfies me. Then maybe this evening would be the evening where you see Christ as satisfying for the very first time. Believers, would you pray for, pray with me? That God would even be doing that in our midst? Well, what I want to look at this evening is four questions this passage answers. Four questions this passage answers. And the first is, what does it mean to eat this bread? The second is, why is the bread so satisfying? The third is, if it's so satisfying, what keeps so many people from actually coming and eating it? And the fourth is, what does it look like when Jesus draws you to eat and drink satisfaction from Him? First, what does it mean to eat the bread of life? And I want you to notice that the, the, the metaphor is loaded up in a way that's easy to understand. Because when we think of bread and drink, when we think of bread and water, we think of eating and drinking. And yet when Jesus describes the bread and the water, He doesn't say eating and drinking. He says believing and coming. Because eating and drinking this bread and this water is merely a picture of believing and coming to Jesus. Listen to it. You can hear it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. So it's the coming to Jesus that eliminates spiritual hunger in our souls. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. And so the idea here is that He's giving you an idea of what it looks like to believe. And what it looks like to believe is a lot like a meal. It's a lot like a drink. Now, I have the privilege of telling you this evening that I have found the best fried chicken in all of Louisville. It's at Chicken and Me on Melwood Avenue. Who knew that the Laotians had perfected the frying of chicken? 
But in my humble opinion, they most certainly have. And between 4 and 6 p.m. on weekdays, it's even very affordable to the average pocketbook. Now I want you to know that I believe this Asian fried chicken is the best, but more than that, the way I show I believe that is not by mere mental assent. If I walk into the restaurant, the waitress says, what would you like? And I say, well, I just want you to know that the chicken is the best. I know, what would you like? Okay, give me an order of that chicken. And they bring the chicken to me, and I just tell my family, this is the best chicken. Do you believe it, Dad? I indeed do. Look at it. It's the finest chicken there ever was. No, the believing comes when I start sticking that stuff in my face and feel that goodness all over my taste buds. And believing in Jesus is not a mere mental ascent. It's not a mere saying that He's good. It's not merely an ordering Him off the menu of the world religions. It's not merely telling people that you like Jesus. It's that you personally eat Jesus for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with your soul. That the mouth of your soul is open wide and craves Jesus for its own satisfaction. That's what faith is. Faith is not mental assent. Faith is not simply believing something to be true. Faith is when you believe something to be true and then you stretch out the hand of faith and grab a hold of it. You open up the mouth of faith and take a bite of it. And that is the only thing that true faith is. There's many in the church who could pass a doctrinal exam but know little to nothing of true and saving faith. And there's many who've been turned off of Christianity because what they've seen of Christianity is simply people who have a mental assent to Jesus. But this metaphor will not allow that. It will not allow that definition of true and saving faith. Jesus is insisting He must be eaten. Jesus is insisting He must be taken as a drink. It means that even the way you read your Bible is not the way you study for an exam just to get facts. The way you read your Bible is you read it the way you eat a meal to take truths and to take promises that will feed your soul, that will sustain you in the actual challenges and trials of life. That is true faith. And so the first thing we wanted to see was, what does it mean to eat this this bread? And the second thing we want to see is, why is the bread of life so satisfying? What I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's one thing to say that. But why? Why is it so satisfying? Why does eating this bread have what one theologian called the expulsive power of a new affection? That is, when you get a hunger for this, it expels those hungers you had for sin. What is it about this that when you taste this, you say, that's good, and I don't want all the wickedness anymore. What particularly about it is it? Well, to tell you that, I want to go back and tell you about an Old Testament miracle that makes an appearance in this chapter 
that I'm dealing with this evening. And the Old Testament story I want to tell you about is the fact that when Israel was saved out of slavery, when this nation Israel was saved out of slavery, they were taken out from under their slaveholders, the Egyptians, and they were taken through a wilderness for 40 years. Now, if you're any kind of fan of military history, you know that a good army has to have a supply chain. It's not enough to advance the tanks and the guns forward. There has to be a way to get them food. And when you take a nation of hundreds of thousands of people and you take them out into the wilderness, they can't just pick grapes along the path as they're going. They need to be provided for. And so the way that God provided for them was that He put manna on the ground, this bread from heaven, this this wafer dew that came out of heaven that you could pick up every morning and it was like the sky had made you breakfast and God had provided you every sing for you every single day. Now, I want you to know that in John chapter 6, the way the chapter starts out is by Jesus, who's already told us He's God, being in a wilderness with 5,000 people who don't have enough bread to eat, and somebody hands him five loaves and a couple of fishes, and he makes so much bread for them to eat that everyone's got so much bread, and John actually tells us that there was so much bread that they had to go and gather up 12 baskets of leftovers from all the bread that Jesus had just distributed. Now, who do you think Jesus is claiming to be? Every time that Jesus claims to be God, He doesn't always come around and say, I am God. More often than not, in the New Testament, He comes along and He says, hey, you Jews that know all these stories about Jehovah providing bread in the wilderness, here I am in the wilderness, guess who's got lots of bread? It's me. And then He takes it and He turns it on them and He says, don't you come after me for bread. Because what I am is I am not your latest meal ticket. I am the infinite, eternal, immortal God. I am the bread of life. It's actually in me. The reason that all of these rock stars and all of these hip-hop stars that I quoted from my generation, and I could quote my parents' generation, the Rolling Stones were having a little problem with satisfaction, weren't they? Can't get no... Satisfaction, though I try and I try and I try, doesn't happen. The reason we can't get satisfaction with this material things, with these material things like bread, is because we have souls that were never meant to be satisfied with stuff. We have souls that can enjoy stuff. We have souls that can enjoy food. We can be sustained and strengthened by food for a while. Then you eat, you know, a couple 10,000 meals and you die. But at the end of the day, our souls were meant to be sustained by a relationship. And by a relationship, unlike every other human relationship, with someone who has no limits and no bounds. Someone who is infinite. So when Jesus shows up in the wilderness and starts making bread like He's God and then says, don't go after that bread. I'm the bread. What He's saying is, the reason I can satisfy you 
is because I'm eternal and infinite and because I'm all-powerful. But you know what? What I've just said so far is not distinctively Christian. I mean, you can read philosophers who say that our souls have to be satisfied by the divine. Many of the monotheistic religions are going to say that, hey, we've got finite souls and they need to be satisfied with God. That's actually not distinctively Christian to say you need to be satisfied by God. There'd be Mormons who say that. You've got Jewish friends who would say that. You, you probably have people who have very vague conceptions of God who have some idea that if they ever are going to be satisfied in life, it will be God that satisfies them. Something more than just the infinite is promised when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, the deepest thing He's saying is, you need to eat the cross. You need to eat My death on the cross for yourself. And I'm not being poetic. I'm being textual. Jesus says in John 6.47, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread of life that comes down from heaven. This is him, so that the one who eat of it, one way eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the picture of Jesus satisfying your soul is not just some idea of a mystical encounter with the divine. He's saying the way you eat me is you eat my flesh. And the way you eat my flesh is I die for you. He says it again in John chapter 6, verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For My flesh is true food and My blood is true drink. Now, listen to me. Jesus is not trying to raise up a group of first century vampires. He is not trying to create a cannibalistic cult where He's the main course. Remember that eating and drinking is about believing and coming. And what He's saying is you need to believe and come to the One who will shed His blood and the One who will break His body for you. Which means that the way we encounter God in a way that's satisfying to our souls, is not just some idea that we are finite beings and we need to take in the infinite. It's not simply some mystical experience between the limited and the unlimited. But it's encounter between a sinner and a Savior. Isn't it amazing 
that Jesus has put Himself forward in such a way that all of the sins that drain your satisfaction can be cured if you'll take Him as a Savior for satisfaction. That is, if you say, man, the way I lived has made me guilty before God. What would ever satisfy my soul? And then you turn to Jesus and there He is dying on the cross, shedding His blood, and saying, come and I'll satisfy you forever. It's like the meal is tailor-made for guilty taste buds. The meal is attractive to people who have sin. Some of you have been at the Christian life so long that the, the presence of sin in your life has got you so weary. You feel hopeless that you could ever experience the joy of a newborn babe again because the sin is so continual. You've prayed the Lord's Prayer every day. Lord, forgive us our sins. But it's to you at that place that He says, I am the bread of life. It's to you at that place that He says, eat My body and drink My blood. And if you eat My body and drink My blood, you not only encounter the eternal and the infinite, but the gracious and loving. The forgiving and the atoning and the redeeming. That's what we encounter in God. So Jesus is eaten by believing in Him. By trusting in Him. Not by mental assent, but by, by a faith that takes Him in and holds on to His promises and trusts Him. that opens up its mouth to believe in Him and hold, takes Him in and devours Him and is nourished by Him. And then on top of that, the reason it's so satisfying is because He's so much greater than us and even more importantly, so much more gracious than us that He would give Himself for us. But then that begs the question, if this bread really satisfies, if this bread really satisfies, and He's been out on the market for 2,000 years, What keeps people from coming? Why isn't everybody flocking to Jesus? I remember when I first was converted, I, I found out there were 300 uh, messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that all pointed to Jesus. I thought that was amazing. So I called my unbelieving friends and I said, hey, there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and fulfilled in them. Thought we'd like flock to Jesus, start a Christian commune. It was my idea in the late 90s of what would be great. But they didn't believe like me. What happened? Why not? Well, I'm going to give you five reasons real quick why people don't come and be satisfied with Jesus. I'm going to give you five reasons real quick from the text why people don't come and be satisfied with Jesus. The first is they seek Him for more stuff. The first is when they're after Him, when they go after Him, they're just seeking Him for more stuff. So in John chapter 6, verse 2, it says a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs. So they saw miracles. They thought that seems like a good place to be. Free health care for everyone. And so they follow Him. And then in John chapter 6, later on, verse 26, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs that point to who I am, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It's like, here's why you're here. 
It's not that you repented of materialism and came to me. It's that you see me as a means to your materialism. And this is why you can fill stadiums with people who believe the health and wealth gospel. It's because people have always loved to follow Jesus for your best life now. But it won't satisfy your soul. It won't take away your spiritual thirst. Second reason people will not follow Jesus. He's just too mundane. He's just too mundane. Uh, John 6.41 says, Jesus says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And here's what the Jews' response was. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and mother, father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Basically, they're like this. Like, okay, buddy, making your lofty claims. I'm the bread of life. We know your mom. I changed your diapers. You're just a mundane, normal person. People have always wanted some amazing miracle, some laser light show, something that God has to do to prove He's real to them. But He won't give it to you. He comes mundane to humble you. He won't cater and do a little dog and pony show for you so that you can be convinced He's who He said He is. He'll tell you on His own divine authority He is. And He'll cloak Himself in humility in great mundaneness. If your experience with Jesus is just other normal, like balding people, overweight people, not the prettiest ever people, opening their Bibles and telling you about Jesus and that feeds you, that's a normal Christian life. That's as good as it gets. That's what will satisfy you forever. But then people are so fickle, right after they complain that he's too mundane, just a few verses later, they complain that he's too miraculous. So they say, he says, I'm the bread of life, and he tells them about how great he is, and then they say to him, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's like too, that's too out there. So this is like they're impossible to please. One minute it's you're too normal, and then the next minute is what you're saying is too miraculous. Then the very next minute, they first they say you're too mundane, they, then they say you're too miraculous, and then in verse 60 they say, what you say is too hard. When many of His disciples heard it, this is a, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Have you ever tried to like talk to someone who didn't want to do something? And every time you suggested a reason for why they ought to do it, their reason for not wanting to do it changed? Hey, let's go bowling. I'm washing my hair. Your hair looks fine. I have a meeting tomorrow morning. And at some point you're like, this isn't really about meetings and washing hair. And Jesus is here saying, I'm the bread of life. And people are like, you're just normal. You're too miraculous. You're too hard. You know what Jesus says? He gives us the reason why these people won't follow Him. He says they won't follow Him because the human situation is way darker than we imagined. The human situation is such that you can see Jesus face to face and you will not eat. And you will not drink. 
Jesus says, here's His interpretation of why people won't come to Him. He says, but I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe. I said, you've seen Me, I'm the bread of life, yet you do not believe. And then He says this, all the Father gives Me will come to Me. Whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that I should lose nothing of all that He's given Me, but raise it up on the last day. And then He goes up on and says this, No one can come unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. What's going on here? Jesus is saying, that the human situation is so dire that you can't just fix it by sticking Jesus on the scene, saying, take a good look, let Him make loaves from the wilderness, show Him how glorious you are, Jesus, and just say, I'm the bread of life, and see people come. It won't work like that. Because you can see the glory of Jesus, and you will not ever respond. It's, it's like kids. You put healthy food in front of them, and they're like, never! And Jesus puts Himself as the only help for our souls in front of us. The only healthy food for our souls in front of us. And we utterly refuse. And He says we will always refuse until these things happen. God gives us to Jesus. God the Father teaches us by His Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit draws us to Himself. There is no one who ever decided to follow Jesus alone. There is no one who ever just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow Him. I see how glorious He is. Without His drawing, without the Holy Spirit teaching, without the Spirit working on your heart so that the Bible is more than a book and you go, I am a sinner. And He is a Savior. And that would satisfy my soul. Unless the Spirit of God does that in you, you will never believe. And if you've believed, I promise you that's what's happened is that from before the foundation of the earth, God the Father gave you to Jesus. And Jesus came to earth and He bought you on the cross. And after He bought you on the cross, He drew you by His Spirit. And there was a reason why one day, the Bible was the most boring book you'd ever read, and the next day, it was like, no, that's good. I remember, I got saved Holy Week, mid-90s. I think it was 1995. First preacher I ever heard, I found out later, he was awful. But man, was he good that first, that first day. He was the best. He was best because I was being called. He was the best because I was being drawn. He was the best because I was being taught by God. Now, some of you might be saying, Ryan, Ryan, you said these were going to be evangelistic sermons and now you're talking about how God has to save people. Don't you know that's not how it works? Beloved, the most evangelistic passages in the Bible are the most Calvinistic. And what I mean by that is the most whoever wants to eat, whoever wants to drink are the same passages that says, unless the Father draws you, you can't come. So if I'm being wrong about evangelism, I don't want to be right. Because this is the way Jesus did it. 
He said, just whoever wants to come, come. And he's like, why aren't you coming? I'll tell you why you're not coming. You're coming because the bondage is so deep you can't even decide. But then he holds it out. But the Father does draw. And the Father does teach. And many who hear the Bible preach go, I want it. I have to have it. I would leave all the decadence and despair behind if I could have them. I'm going to close with this. I started by telling you about all the rock stars of my youth and all their decadence and desire and all the ways in which they went after all these things that are supposed to make you happy, but it never made them happy. And I want to end by telling you about a different kind of soul. It's the soul of the Apostle Peter at the end of John chapter 6. John chapter 6 goes like this. Real brief summary. I'm done. Crowds follow him for miracles. Crowds follow him across the Sea of Galilee for bread. He tells him, don't come after me for bread. What you need is me. I'm the bread. You need to drink me. You need to eat me. Then you'll be satisfied. They go, oh, you're so mundane. You're so miraculous. You're so hard. And it says in John 6, verse 60, or sorry, verse 66, many disciples turned back. Don't, 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 don't miss this. The chapter starts with crowds eating bread. And when Jesus starts talking about a cross, the crowds are gone. People leave. And Jesus is not someone who, you know, doesn't face what's going on around him. He's clued into reality. And he says to his disciples, do you want to go away as well? You out? Everyone else is out. You gone? And Peter, of course Peter. This is one of the good moments, Peter. This is one of, your, this is one of the good ones. Peter says, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. In the words of Carl Ellis, Peter had become a grace junkie. He couldn't quit. He couldn't quit. You want to go too? I'm talking about eating blood, drinking blood, and eating flesh. You, you out? No, eating blood and drinking, drinking blood and eating flesh is all we have. When your soul tastes your sin, then this Savior becomes your bread. When your soul has tasted your sin, then this Savior becomes your satisfaction. And I want to say to you this evening, you might be at the point of despair because of the depth of your struggle with sin. But if there is in your soul this impulse, but where would I go? You've been taught by God. You've been called by God. You were called by God before the foundation of the earth. And He will not let you go.
And if you feel like, man, I'm starting to get my feet under me in this Christian life, I'm beginning to actually grow and, and learn how to walk in righteousness. Stay right there. Eat the bread. Eat the bread and drink the cup. And remember over and over and over, He, through His death on the cross, satisfies the soul. Father, we thank You for Your living bread. Thank You for living water. We thank You for salvation. Lord, make us a satisfied people. And I pray for all of those here who've been chasing bread, chasing decadence, chasing stuff and shiny things, that they would turn and find themselves saved by You. That they would hear the whoever believes in Me. Whoever comes to Me. And they would come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.